Heavenly Father, we come before you with much on our minds and for many with heavy hearts and souls. You, you tell us to love you with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so we, we bring it before you now. We, we ask that you be with us. Be with us as a nation this next week as we seek to elect new leaders. God, we pray that your will will be done. And Lord, we recognize that just like everything else that you entrust us with, we are participating with you in your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. You are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And God, I pray that that fact would bring us comfort and peace now. May this truth be fulfilled in the upcoming election. And God, in the lives of every leader that you place in a position of authority, may our country turn to your grace and wisdom, and may that transformation begin with us right now as we prepare to hear your word. It is in Jesus' name all God's people said. Amen. Amen. If you would, if you have a Bible, open it up. Join us together in it. If you've got the Bible app, you can join us that way as well. Our scripture reading is Luke chapter 17, and we begin at verse 11. The Gospel of Luke. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into the village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was, it was some years ago now, our, our two oldest boys, Jake and Evan, Jake's with me here sitting in the front pew, they were pretty young. They were our, our only two kids at the time. And Alyssa, my wife, and I, we decided to surprise them by taking them to the Wisconsin Dells. Parents or, or adults who were children, how many of you have at least one or two warm memories from going to the Wisconsin Dells? The water park capital of the world, right? And so, so we, want, we had only, at this point, they were little, so I think we'd only been there during the day. We'd never spent the night. So we decided to surprise them and take them, and they had no idea it was coming. And so we packed our bags, we strategically hid them in the back of the van, we we had our, our pre-planned excuses when they asked where we were going. We didn't lie, but we didn't tell them where we were either until we pulled in to the parking lot of the resort that we were staying at. And as we pulled into the parking lot, Jacob, who was probably only about five years old at the time, Jake, I think that's how old you were, he caught a glimpse of the, the tube water slide coming out of the building that we were going to stay in. And he said, Mom, Dad, are we in the Wisconsin Dells? And we said, yes, and we're spending the night. 
and his eyes like jumped out of his head. You remember this, Jake? Remember this? His eyes jumped out of his head. And when they returned to his eye sockets, they started to fill with water, with liquid, with tears. And Alyssa and I were like, hey, what's wrong, Jacob? And when he kind of composed himself, he said, nothing's wrong. I'm just so happy. And if you know Jake, he's a very sensitive kid. He's just, just, just crying tears. I'm just so happy. Then he's still going on and on. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, we knew that they were going to enjoy this. This, right? Like, that's why we did it. But we had no idea that it was going to be like that. And I remember what went through my head at that moment. I remember thinking, first thought was, is there some way I can become independently wealthy so I can buy this resort and we can just live here? <laughs> like, that was, that was my first thought. But then I came down from that. And I got a little more rational. And, and I actually said this out loud to Alyssa. I said, the commute between the Dells and Elkhorn isn't that bad. Can we just move here? <laughs> and that probably wasn't the best idea either. But, but see... His gratitude made me want to do those things. His gratefulness in sharing that made me want to pull out all the stops and buy my son the world. And as I look back on that day, I learned that his gratitude taught me something new about the depth of my love as a father for my son. And the more I think about that, the more I learn that that doesn't just have to do with my relationship with my child, but it also teaches me something about the depth of our Heavenly Father's love for us. And that's what we're going to be talking about as we enter into our series that we're going to be going through, starting this morning through the entire month of November. For the next 30 days, I want to invite you on a journey with me. And it's, it's the 30 days of gratitude. That's what we're going to call it. For the next 30 days, I want to invite you to relearn what it means to be grateful. And I say relearn because it's so easy to forget. If you're a parent, you know that those kind of experiences are few and far between. And even if your kids are good, I've got great kids, but they don't cry every time I make the mortgage payment, right? Like there's so many things. When I was a kid, there's so many things that I, I didn't think about being thankful for. And as we get older, life just gets more complicated, right? We get even busier and busier. And, and I feel like the more busy we get, the less gratitude is natural. We become ingrained in our lives. We, we sometimes become self-centered, even entitled and oblivious to the things happening around us. And, and this can happen especially when we're in pain. You know, think about somebody in your life right now who needs, seems to be particularly crabby. And there's a lot of people like that right now. You might be one of those people. <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing, but the person next to you isn't. So be careful. No, think about it, okay? No, this is actually a serious point. When someone's in pain, right? When they're crabby, when they're self-centered, oftentimes pain can draw you to that very place. So when you think of somebody who's negative, who's lashing out, who's biting back at people, chances are good that they are somebody who is experiencing a lot of pain. And pain has the ability to draw us into ourselves, which leads us to the opposite of being thankful. And so as we were praying 
about what to talk about next as, as leaders and asking God, what should we spend our time on in the next month? Like this moment that we're living in right now on the cusp of an election that guarantees that roughly half of our country is going to be thankful while the other half is going to feel like the world is coming to an end. While we're in the midst of a pandemic that continues to rage across the globe, and many of us are exhausted by it and confused, where, where we're entering into a holiday season that's unlike any we've ever experienced in our lifetime, what better time than to focus on being thankful? And that might not sound natural, but what we're going to learn is that gratitude is a posture. It's a posture. Gratitude is a perspective, and it's a posture that I believe is so essential right now because it will both protect and encourage us specifically in the season that we're living in right now. It's going to take some effort, but it's worth it. And so let's dive into it now and, and get started in our reading today. Our reading comes from the Gospel of Luke. And it's a good story. On just, just on the surface, it's a good story. But if you go deeper into the context, you'll find that there's actually a wealth of meaning if you know what's happening all around it. And so I want to start by sharing that. There's actually tension in the air. And the tension is almost palpable. It's, it's, it's plainly seen if you read through the rest of Luke's gospel because Jesus is heading to a specific place. At this point in the gospels, at least two times before, he's told the disciples that he is going to Jerusalem. And he's going to Jerusalem to die. It says it again, just a chapter after our reading today, Luke 18, verse 31. Jesus took the 12 aside and he told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that's written by the prophets and the son of, about the Son of Man, who's Jesus, will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They're going to mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They're going to flog him and kill him. And on the third day... He will rise again. That's where they're going. That's where they're walking to in this particular moment. Jesus knows where they're going. He knows why they're going. And he knows what's going to happen when they get there. That's what's going on right now. And so let's dive right back into our reading today. Luke 17, verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, now that you know where he's going, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria in Galilee. Now that you know, can you imagine how heavy the moment is that they're living in right now? Like, can you imagine? Alyssa and I were, were watching this show recently. It was about a, a teenage boy who's been accused of murder. And throughout the whole series, you don't know whether or not he's done it, but it all leads up to the day of his criminal trial. And they, they really drag out the scene, the morning of the trial, as they were getting ready to go to the court. And they drag out the scene of when they're getting dressed and putting on their clothes and they're walking down the stairs to the front door and they get into the car and they open up the garage door and they slowly drive to the courthouse. Every single move is slow and calculated and heavy because you know that this could be the last day that their son sleeps in his own bed that they're going to go to a place that's going to determine whether or not he is guilty. And it's the same as Jesus. That's where he's going. He's on his way. He's going to be handed over to the Gentiles. He knows this, and that's why it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, that he is heading there resolutely. 
He resolutely goes there because he knows why he's going. He's choosing to do it. And at the same time, it's heavy. And so you better focus as you go there, right? Because you can just imagine the show that we were watching, the parents probably wanted to drive someplace else. And so he's resolutely heading there. And I share all this because no one would blame Jesus. If on the way to Jerusalem, there were things happening all around him that he just didn't notice, that he just didn't notice because his brain was full of other things. And that's what makes it even more meaningful to see what happens next. Look at verse 12. As Jesus was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Jesus, on his own road to death, has ten men standing in the distance asking for his help. And, and they had leprosy. And in biblical times, the word leprosy could, deter, could define a variety of different things. But today, we still have leprosy. What we define as leprosy is, is actually a pretty nasty thing. It's caused by a bacteria that literally attacks your flesh. It attacks your, your, your nerve endings, and then it goes after your nose, and it goes after your eyes, and it goes after your senses. It leaves you disfigured. It causes you to lose the feeling in your extremities. And you're probably homeless at that point, and so you're sleeping on the street. You could wake up, and, and you could find a rat that's been literally eating your flesh. It's disgusting, but this is what happens when you would get leprosy. Today, there's actually antibiotics that you can take to relieve it, but in so many places around the world, they're just not available. And so if you don't treat it fast enough, it causes permanent damage, even though it's a very slow disease, and eventually the damage can lead to complications that lead to death. And so that's what leprosy is. And in Jesus' day, they didn't have any of the treatments we have today. And, and, and again, it, it could have been a variety of different things, things that were very deadly, things that were very contagious to others. And so the Old Testament law is very clear about what you are supposed to do if you contract this very terrible disease. Look at Leviticus. We'll go back to the Old Testament. Leviticus 13 says, Anybody with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. Now, next time you're grumbling about what the CDC says you're supposed to do when you get sick, remember Leviticus 13, okay? <laughs> At least you don't have to walk around and scream, unclean, unclean, right? You gotta wear a mask, you gotta stand six feet away, right? Look at this. This is what was going on because they had a disease that could bring people death, right? Like we could experience this. We understand this in a different way right now. That's what happened to these 10 men. And Jesus is walking by and part of the precautions, and they were following them, is that they could not get too close. They had to be several feet away from Jesus. And so it's not like they got in his way and he couldn't help but deal with them, right? It's not like when you're walking down the street in the city and, and you walk by somebody who's begging and they're literally right next to you and you can't help, you can't ignore them. They're right there. It's like they were across the street. And if they're across the street, then Jesus could easily ignore them. 
And nobody ever would have questioned that because he's resolutely heading toward where? Jerusalem, right? He knows where he's going. And yet, verse 14, when they saw him, when he saw these men, he said to them, he noticed, he stopped. Go, show yourselves to the priests. And Jesus was, was too busy, he was too focused on where he was going. So he doesn't even stop, but he says, as they went, they were cleansed. It was on their way to the temple that they were healed. Last week, I uh, gave blood at a blood drive that my uh, kid's school was hosting, Faith Christian School. And um, I gave blood for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's been several years since I've given blood, and I know it's important, and so I, I went to do that. But I also had a selfish reason that I'll share with you. Um, they're actually, they're testing all of the donor blood for the COVID-19 antibody. So if you're, if you're wondering, this is another reason to give blood, is they'll test everyone's blood, and within a couple of weeks, they'll tell you whether your body has antibodies to the virus, which, which means that, that you at some point in the recent past had contracted it, and your body had overcome it, and now you're clean. <laughs> See, I, I wanted that, and I got the test results. It was negative, so I haven't yet had it, at least as far as that test could tell. But that's one of the reasons why I went. Same thing was true for the, the people who had leprosy. They would go to the priests in the temple, and the priests would give them the same kind of assurance. It was the priests that could tell them that they used to be sick, and now they're healed. That they used to be unclean, and now they're well. And so that's why Jesus sent them to the temple. And they went to the temple, and because the Spirit of God healed them on the way, they were declared clean. All ten men were declared clean. But verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet. Notice he's not across the street anymore. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Ten men were all cleansed from this horrible disease and yet only one takes the time to go back to the feet of the one who gave him healing and say thank you. Didn't come to bring an offering. Didn't come to say I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. This isn't Peter who becomes the rock of the church. He just went to Jesus to say thank you. And not only was it just one man, but it was a Samaritan. Again, context is important. Samaritans and Jews don't like each other. And the reason they don't like each other is because the Samaritans have a similar heritage. They have Jewish heritage as well, but somewhere back in history, they intermingled with their enemies. And so now at this point, the Samaritans have a whole, a whole melting pot of, of background. Their skin is a different color. Their culture looks a little bit different. And that's a sermon for a whole other story, but I want to point out a couple of interesting things about this. They lived separately until they got sick. And as soon as they had leprosy, all ten came back together. Isn't that interesting? You didn't have the Samaritans standing over here going, unclean, unclean, and then the Jews over here going, unclean, unclean. They were together. In their illness, it made them one. And then when they got better, they separated again. Isn't that fascinating? But isn't that true the way life works now too? 
isn't it true? We come together in our weaknesses, and then when we're going through moments of strength, we often find it more comfortable to separate. That's what happened here. And of the ten, it was the least likely of them. Jesus was Jewish. And it was a Samaritan man who came back, the least likely to come to the Jewish rabbi and say thank you. Verse 18, Jesus hangs on this point. Has no one returned, he says, to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now parents, isn't there a part of you that after hearing this story, you want to go find the other nine, grab them by the earlobe? And say, you go and you say thank you to the nice Jewish rabbi. <laughs> I mean, seriously, right? Like, like, didn't your mother teach you manners? When you have an incurable disease and a rabbi heals you, you say thank you, right? <laughs> but see, that, that wouldn't really matter. There's no time for that anyway. Jesus would be gone. He is resolutely going to Jerusalem. And it wouldn't matter even if you did that, even if you went, grabbed them by the ear, and brought them back. I was, I was looking at pictures of this story I shared when we went to the Dells, and my youngest sister, Courtney, she came with us that time. And, and there was pictures of her sitting in the very back seat of our van. Now, just imagine, this isn't what happened, but just imagine that when we pulled up, let's say Jacob didn't have the same reaction that I described, and instead my sister, Courtney, pinched him and said, Jacob, you tell your parents thank you. You tell them they sacrificed to bring you to the Wisconsin Dells. You make sure to say thank you. And what if Jacob said, okay, thanks, Mom and Dad. Like, like would I have wanted to buy him the entire resort if that's how that went down? No. No, of course not. The power of gratitude comes because he's actually thankful. He was actually thankful. And there's two things that I think we can take away from this story that are going to be guiding principles for us as we go through the 30 days of gratitude together. Two things I want to point out. The first one is this. You and I are probably more like the nine that walked away. In the story of the Samaritan, who is thankful, you and I are probably more like the nine than we are like the one. And I know we read this, and we're selfish. And so we think, well, I'm the one that would say thank you, right? I would do that. I know I would. I know my neighbor wouldn't. I know my wife wouldn't. I know my son would. But you're not. I mean, let me just tell you, I'm not. And my gut tells me that you're probably not either. And the reason why, it's not my own gut that's telling me that. Every detail in God's word is important. Every single detail, including the detail of how many men were healed and how many men came back. Luke shares this for a purpose. And I believe that one of the purposes that God breathed into his words is that those who would read it after would realize that the chances are only one in 10 that you would be the one to go back. 90% of us don't have that inside of us. We would not be grateful. And I know for one that I'm one of those people. I'm one of the nine. And chances are, so are you. You're probably not the exception, which is why we need to relearn what it means to be thankful. 
It's why thankfulness is a posture and a perspective. And the reason it's so important, and the reason that we're bringing it up right now is the second thing I want you to learn, and that's that God wants to heal his grateful children. God wants to heal his grateful children. Look at it again at verse 19. Jesus said to him, this is the one who came back. He said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. If you have a Bible, underline the word faith. That's what's made him well. Your faith has made you well. Here's the thing. Wait a minute. I thought he was healed on the road to the temple. And he was. He was physically healed. And that's true. See, but Jesus wanted to heal all ten men, and he didn't want the healing to stop there. He wanted to heal them. See, that's why he did it to begin with. That's why, as he was going to Jerusalem, he still stopped. He still healed the men. He noticed their cries in the distance. He was not so bothered that he couldn't make them well, but he wanted to do more. The real tragedy in this story is that while 10 men were healed from a physical disease, a physical terrible disease, there was only one that was healed from the consequences of it. Only one. Just think about, think about this. Imagine what it would be like if you were diagnosed with leprosy in Jesus' day. And you had to be separated from all of community, not just to your bedroom for two weeks, but you had to be separated from everyone, quarantined. It'd be like going to prison with no end date. This is a lifelong sentence. No hope at all. And so, sure, all ten of the men's physical wounds are now healed, but can you imagine how broken the relationships they have are now? Can you imagine what it's like to be a man that walks into your house after this has happened? Like, there could have been men who had infant children when they got diagnosed, and they left, and now they've come back to teenagers that don't even know their father, right? Like they could be walking into where they used to work and you think that their employer just held out their job for them? Of course not. They had leprosy. They're now begging on the side of the road. I mean, I, I see this right now. Like, like, can you imagine the families when they walk in saying to them, you know what, I know you say you went to the temple, but are you sure you're healed? Are you sure you're not still contagious? You know, you better just stay outside for a little while until I talk to the priest. I mean, I see this right now. I see this as a pastor right now. Most of the emails that we get for prayer for COVID-19 don't come through the connect card. They don't come through the general prayer call. They come directly to me because people are too embarrassed to tell someone else when they have COVID-19. <laughs> or when their loved one has COVID-19, they're embarrassed to say something because they're afraid of what other people are going to think. Holly, our missionary in Kenya, was telling my wife just this week, I asked if I could share this, that in Kenya they're seeing spikes just like they're seeing them here, but people don't want to go and be tested, and it's not because they don't want to know the results, it's because they're afraid of how their neighbors are going to treat them if it comes back positive. We understand this right now. Not to mention... The mental scars, right? I mean, think about these men. <laughs> these men who had leprosy. Think about the mental scars of being separated from everyone and isolated and persecuted and ridiculed. You'd get made fun of. You'd eat only what people threw at you. And you had to face death every single day. 
That's what's going on. And nine out of the ten men walked out of that temple and they were physically clean. But all ten men walked into a world that was still very much broken. Very much broken. And these ten men asked Jesus for healing. And only one man came back to get the healing that he really needed. And that healing came to him when he said two words. Thank you. When he said two words, thank you. My son Jacob didn't thank Alyssa and I for taking him to the Dells. When we pulled into that parking lot, would we have turned the van around and went home? No, because I'm cheap and I wouldn't got my money back. <laughs> Let me just be honest. <laughs> but would I have wanted to buy him the resort? No. Would I have been so filled with love in my own heart that I would give the world to my son as I was when his teary, authentic, heartfelt thank you came from his lips. See, thank you makes the difference between a simple gesture of kindness and a heart ready to give the world. Jesus didn't take away the healing of leprosy from the nine men. He didn't say to the one, okay, well, here's the real trick. They're going to get it again. <laughs> he didn't do that. They were healed from leprosy. But they weren't healed from anything else. And Jesus wanted to heal them from everything. And so he says to the one who said thank you, your faith has made you well. It means that this man now has faith. It's a gift of God's grace that will heal body, mind, spirit, relationships, the world. Jesus wants to heal the man's world. And it all came because he said, thank you. And friends, this is how I'll close. Don't you need that too? Don't we need that too? Because so many of us are sick right now. Physically sick, yes. But we're also politically unwell. We're relationally broken. We're mentally down. I know I am. And so for the next 30 days, I want to challenge you to do something that isn't going to feel natural right away, and that is to say thank you. And we're going to do this, this very intentionally. It's a two-part prayer, and, and the first part's very simple. It's to, it's to cry out to God and to pray the same prayer the ten men prayed and say, unclean, unclean, Jesus, have pity on me. Heal me you got to start there because if you're not going to admit that you're not sick, if you're not going to admit that you're unwell, Jesus can't do anything for you. You've got to open up your hands. You've got to say that I need to be healed. Maybe you don't have leprosy. Maybe you don't have COVID. Maybe you're the one who needs to come before God because fear is the thing that you need healing from. Maybe your illness is pride. Maybe it's just being worried all the time. Whatever it is, I don't care. Cry out to God. Say it to him. Unclean, unclean, have mercy on me. That's the first step. And then the second step is to look at God and say thank you. And to find reasons to be thankful. And so what we're going to do for that, because I know it's so hard to do that, it's hard for me right now. I had to find my own help to do that this week. And so I want to help you. So here's what we're going to do. If you're on our email list, and if you're not, you can sign up for it. You can watch us on social media. We'll post it that way as well. Every Sunday afternoon, I'm going to send you an email personally. 
And in that email, there is going to be a very short devotional for the next 30 days. There's going to be one for every single day. And every day, it's going to draw you to a different focus on gratitude. There'll be a scripture, there'll be a little reading, and then there'll be an action step. Like like the action step for Tuesday, if you're going to go out to the polls and you're going to vote, the action step is to say to the poll worker, thank you, very simply. The action step is to say thank you. The action step is when you leave and you rip off that mask, look at somebody else and smile because most people aren't smiling this week. And if they're wearing a pin that says the person that you didn't vote for, smile bigger. Say hi. Maybe even thank them for voting. We're going to do that every single day for the next 30 days. And you'll get that email in your inbox. And we will pray together and we will ask God to be with us as we thank him every single day throughout the month of November. And so I want to encourage you to commit yourself to that even when you don't feel like it, especially when you don't feel like it. Because one of the many things we're going to learn is that gratitude is not a feeling, but the feeling does come when we practice it. You don't have to feel thankful to say it. But when you do say it, The word of God shows us that God changes us. When we come before God and we say thank thank you, our faith has the power to make us well as the spirit of God draws us away from being one of the nine and becoming the one who comes before him and says thank you. So let's allow the spirit of God to begin to change our hearts as we do that now. Let's watch.